It is now 5 p.m. and we are still in our work session for the city of Iowa City. On January 5th, we just finished capital improvement projects and we took a short break for 10 minutes and so we're gonna continue our work session. I do see that all of our counselors are present. Mayor Pro Tem is actually in transit from um, and will be uh, joining us here momentarily. So other than that, I do see Ryan from USG. And I, I'm looking for Eleanor, our city attorney. Yes, she's there. Um, all right, I think we are ready to go. So we will jump right back in on, um, and I even see Anna. Uh, I see Anna, so welcome to both of you from USG. Um, I want to just get us back into the work session and we're gonna continue our discussion on the preliminary plan to restructure the Iowa City Police Department uh, towards community policing. And I think um, I'm just gonna open the floor to counselors to kinda chime in wherever you want to on this item. And I guess personally, I'll start <laughs> if that's okay. No one jumped in, so I'll jump right in there. Um, at least for me, um, I am still weighing through all of the items as, as this is a huge document, as we all know. Um, I am certainly starting engagement with people in the community. Um, on more specifics within the documents. Um, so I am not in a place to give much comment at this time, personally. I know that there hasn't been some input um, from some of the um, individuals that were a part of the process, and I'll name two of them. That is the South District um, Neighborhood Association as well as uh, Black Voices Project. They haven't had a meeting yet, um, yet this year uh, since the document was released. And so I am kind of reserving for, their, for them to weigh in as well, um, personally. And so I don't have very much to add on this topic at this point. So that is where I am um, as of now. Mayor, I would concur. I, I think, um, one, like you said, it's it's a pretty uh, weighty and detailed document um, that with which we've been presented. And I want to you know thank the city manager for that and all of his work and, and staff who've been involved with that. And this is a really important process. And I think we want to be um, as expeditious, but also as cautious as we can in terms of making sure we get the public input, um, that we have a chance to really read through it in depth. And I know in the last probably week and a half or two weeks, a lot of us have been sidetracked from that in terms of reading the budget um, because we have some pretty tight timelines with the budget. So I'm the same place you are, Mayor. I don't, I don't have a lot to add at this point tonight. I wanna to hear more from um, a broad range of the community. 
and I do want to make sure it, it really is the broader community, not just um, narrow segments that we that we really need to hear from. So for any of the public that are listening, um, I do hope that you will give us um, some feedback, call and ask us questions. Um, and I think it's important as we look at these um, recommendations, you know, as the, as the city manager said, you know, look at the rationale behind those, um, not just at the recommendations themselves. And, um, and then personally, I think what we should entertain is a work session devoted just to this, um, maybe in a month or so. And I think we need structure for that work session. Uh, I think we really need to think about how we are going to do it with 36 recommendations or whatever. I don't think it's going to be a productive meeting to just open it up once we are ready to really talk about it. I need. I think we really need to think about a structure for that work session um, so it can be really effective and productive. So that's where I am at this point. Well, Mayor and Susan, I think you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I, I, I agree. It, it's a lot to digest. It's a big document. And so I, I appreciate uh, Jeff and the staff that took time to, to put it all together. Uh, but there is a lot of information in there and, it, and things that, that just can't happen overnight, uh, things that we really have to give a lot of thought to. And Susan, I appreciate your suggestion. And I, I totally agree that we should have a work session that, that's totally devoted to this so that we can really take time to, to look at each item and, and look at the consequences and, and what it would mean to the community. So I agree. The only thing is about the work session is people cannot speak. Uh, do you have an idea when can we hear the public speak and give us feedback? Or do you want to open that work session for people to speak? I just can yeah, I agree with you, but we, we need time, but I would like to make sure how we're going to get the input from the public. And you know, because uh, as you all agreed that this is big topic, we need to hear more and we need to hear the view of a lot of people so we can make our mind. Well, for me, I mean, I think there's a place on the website for input. People can always call us, people can always email us. Um, I guess the question is typically in the 11 years I've been on council, I would say probably 99% of the time, that is, is how we have gotten our public input is through individual conversations, emails. Um, we've done community input events. We still, you know, we still could do something like that. But when it has come time for the council meetings, like the work session, um, that has been devoted to council dialogue and council discussion, trying to get all of that input ahead of that time. And then of course, once we come to that point of taking any formal action in a formal meeting, we've always opened that up for input. To me, that is, that's almost too late for people to really give us input that might um, have a strong influence on our decisions. So I, I would just encourage people through the website, through phone calls, through emails, and maybe we want, once we get through the budget, maybe we wanna think about doing some pu more public engagement like we did during the input process. So I'm not sure what other people think in that regard. 
I know I, I'm sorry, I'm going to just say one last thing before as a counselor can talk. I, I just want to say that, yes, I understand that the work session is devoted to the council and everything. I, my goal is to make sure people understand it. This document now in English, a lot of people, they don't understand what in this document and what it means, what the city can do to make sure everybody understand what's going on and also feedback like the way that we receive feedback is not working for a lot of community. And I think this is an important topic. We need to give the opportunity to reach out to a lot of communities so we can have their input. That's the only thing I'm really, you know, we can uh, devote the work session for the council to do uh, only. That's not, I don't mind that. But I just want to make sure we don't forget to just to include everybody on this and try to think about a way how can we include them. That's all. I, I do wonder if we don't consider having an opportunity at our, um, either within the formal meeting or we setting aside a, another opportunity for, and then when I say the formal meeting, maybe 30 minutes of community input um, on, on this item, or we do some type of a um, listening session just for this via Zoom um, where we can get uh, people input. Um, so that's what I might think, you know, we might want to think about as we're continuing this discussion. Yeah, I, I agree that um, getting a wide variety of public input and I think elevating the members of our community who we expect may be impacted the most by restructuring the police department is really important to me. And that um, I especially, as, as Mayor Pertem was saying, just, you know, reaching out to, to communities and parts of the community I do think we need a little bit of a process around that. Um, I think this is the type of subject matter that, you know, having the, the feedback form on the website is to me, maybe not enough, you know, to, to get the information out and to get feedback. So absolutely agree that, you know, encourage anyone who has input to contact us individually and, and to, you know, engage through those mechanisms. But I, I think we do need to do a little bit of organizing around it. Um, I was wondering about if counselors are interested in working groups. So the experience that we had with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, where you know Janice and I were kind of a subcommittee on that topic, and then met with a variety of you know interested people and kind of reported back. I don't know that the council has to you know lead that kind of thing. But to me, if we can divide up the 36 rec recommendations, maybe by subject areas, and even the plan itself has a few different ways we can kind of cut that up um, and then consider having, you know, even if we're just encouraging or facilitating, making sure that the people who we think may have input who, um, you know, might need an invitation to, to that table to be able to provide that input. Um, I don't know what people think about, about that. I, mean, I, th I think that it that it really does warrant uh, extra and extraordinary in uh, efforts, much as we put it, 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 not dissimilar to what we put into the, the TRC, uh, and that it's also incumbent upon each of us uh, as part of that to 
reach out to a wide variety of people that we know, not just expect people to come to us. It would be great if they all did, but I think we all know that that won't happen. So and we, I, I believe we each of us know a really broad cross-section cross of the community. So, in a, so I would support what, what Laura is suggesting in it, sort of an informal subcommittees. And I also really urge every single member of council to essentially to make a list and start reaching out to, to people and, uh, and whatever cross segment of the community you know the best or think you can, you can be effective with. I, I guess I'm going to, um, it sounds like no one is going to uh, provide comment, at least, uh, you know, in a more general sense uh, to the draft and in my mind to the, the process as it's uh, unfolded up to this point. Um, but I guess I felt a certain uh, obligation, perhaps is the word, to at least express my feelings at the moment in terms of you know, what, what I've gained from this and, and some comments related to the draft. Uh, so I you know, prepared some thoughts on that that I'll share with you. Obviously, as, as I think all of us understand, there's uh, a much, much needed um, further discussion within the community uh, in terms of getting a response, both to the draft and you know, their just general sense of, of how this question of policing um, should be addressed. But I, I did want to kind of give an update in terms of where I am at the moment uh, based on what I've seen and experienced. And, and by way of a summary, I would say that the, the focus of, of my observations and comments is that in terms of this, the strategy that's laid out in the draft, uh, avoiding calls for police services, which is referred to as prevention, uh, whether that's initiated by community members or by police officers themselves, I think that is the critical approach uh, in terms of trying to uh, address what I understand to be some of the concerns related to our police efforts. Replacing those interactions with public health professionals, you know, there's a lot of talk about home, the homelessness issues, the mental health issues, interpersonal conflicts and things of that sort. All of them clearly seem to lend themselves to that, that notion of, of addressing those kinds of calls for service with the professionals that are properly trained and suited for those kinds of calls. And I certainly, uh, I think that's, I'm in agreement, certainly, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one, one of the things that came out of the draft was that, that was different from what I was hearing at the meetings and also in my conversations with IFR was the, the, the model for that interaction. And you know there was a, a, certainly with IFR an interest in the CAHOOTS model. I had read some pieces on, on, on CAHOOTS and how it was structured and um, you know, that it's being uh, considered by many cities uh, throughout the country at this point. Um, that, uh, you know, that I was kind of expecting that that would be acknowledged and included in the report. And I, I didn't see any evidence of that. So that that's something that as we move forward, I would certainly be be concerned with and, and interested in, in, in following. Uh, as I mentioned months ago, I, I found the 
the architecture that IFR had presented to be a useful one. I felt it did bridge uh, between the kind of more generalized discussion that we see nationally on Black Lives Matter and conditions in Iowa City. And, and the, the five components of that plan were mental health, anti-homelessness, interpersonal conflict, road safety, and drugs and alcohol. Uh, you know, the three first categories, you know, I just discussed, but I felt the the question of road safety was, was an interesting one in, in the way that it intersected with Black Lives Matter. And so, so that's something that I'd like to comment on a little bit. You know, it, it, if, you, if you look at our budget, it's very clear that road safety is a top priority of our field operations within the police department, uh, which is the largest component of our police department. It has 78 full-time employees. And I've I've said before, and I, I will say again, that I think there are several potential ways we can advance community wellness and public safety on our streets while reducing the need for police officers to enforce traffic laws through traffic stops, which will thus address the issue of driving while black. I do think many, many members are, of our community, uh, you know, the interface they have with our police officers uh, while driving is a very important part of their experience uh, in town here. And so that, that, that was why I felt there should be some emphasis on that. Uh, as we learned at one of the listening posts, in addition, uh, traffic stops can also be traumatic for persons with special needs. They're very sensitive to sirens and uh, flashing lights. So I began to see that there, it wasn't simply the BIPOC community, but others as well. Uh, who are impacted by the experience of the traffic stop. The draft plan noted that 25% of our calls for police service are traffic stops and collisions. In fiscal year 2019, there were 14,482 traffic stops. These, tra these traffic stops are mostly police initiated rather than responses to a public request. My belief is that the fewer times our police officers interact with people when enforcing traffic laws, the less likely those interactions will go badly and people will be able to more peacefully go about their lives. And months ago, I mentioned how I felt some of those things could be addressed. Uh, one of them being eliminating traffic stops for minor infractions. That is recommendation 21. I think perhaps more could be done along those lines. In fact, I found one, one of our pieces of correspondence from Donna Ruth Beery mentioned the idea of a seasonal car check event. Uh, I know I've talked with other counselors about this concept. I think that's one way of taking something out of that current condition where you're, you're talking about an armed police officer stopping a vehicle for a minor traffic infraction, whether it's defective equipment or what have you, and turning that event into a very positive experience uh, where it's a more kind of community service and event. Uh, so that, that's one way I think we could, we could address it. Uh, the second, which did not make it into the draft plan, was implementing changes to our road conditions, which impel drivers to, to drive at the speeds that are posted uh, as our speed limits. And I refer to those as self-regulating streets that do not require police-initiated traffic stops and thus will vastly improve traffic safety. 
some examples of, of self-regulating streets, ways we can do that, we've already implemented. They would be road diets, traffic lane, uh, narrowing traffic lanes and so forth. Uh, this, this, in my view, is really the ideal approach toward traffic safety, is making sure that our roads are consistent with the speeds that we feel are safe within our community. Um, and as I mentioned, these are already underway in Iowa City. So what I would say is the emphasis I'd like to give it is that now that we understand how this issue intersects with uh, Black Lives Matter, that we accelerate that effort. Um, I would argue it should be accelerated for the, from the standpoint of transportation equity, um, but there are a number, number of ways in which implementing these, these changes in our road conditions and accelerating that program will benefit the community. And then the, the third was the deployment of the automatic, automated traffic enforcement, uh, such as speed and red light cameras. There's, uh, I, what I would like to add to what I've said before is that considerable research supporting their record of reducing car crashes and traffic speeds exists now, as well as reducing the, the traffic stops. Just one of many examples that I ran across was Seattle's program, uh, which saw a reduction of 23% in car crashes and a third of a drop in crashes involving pedestrians. So in brief, I would say that implementing these changes to our, our policing policies will be more successful than our current practices in achieving our ICPD's field operation goals of reducing traffic crashes and significantly improving police interactions with the public, especially people of color. And then lastly, on the question of drug and alcohol use, um, you know, we historically, uh, Substance abuse plays a significant role in policing in Iowa City, uh, along with road safety. Those are the two goals that I see in our budget that are referenced as top priorities for the ICPD. Uh, my, one, of, one of the things that I felt was interesting was we, the impact of COVID on access to drinking establishments did provide an opening for exploring possibilities for creating other venues for all of us to socialize more safely. And, and I would like to continue those conversations, again, with the emphasis being on the prevention of alcohol and drug use, abuse rather than its criminalization at the back end. Uh, so, so those are the, the again, I'm, my observations up to this point, we've been working on this for months. Um, you know, I, I'm certainly interested in, in hearing how people feel about we can restructure the police department uh, but I did want to report back to those who are following this um, as to what my, my feelings are with, in, in terms of the draft as it stands now and also the way I would envision um, moving forward. I think, Don, Don, you make some very good points. And uh, one in particular, and I think a lot of the points we need to, if we continue to, to look at this and try to uh, modify it and, and make it a workable document, uh, the one item that really always stands out for me that you've talked about are those traffic enforcement cameras. And I think we need to give that some serious thought. As we've said, they're, they're colorblind. They just note the license plate. And I think that's uh, moving on our way to the uh, anti-racist uh, aspect 
of, of the policing and, and the traffic uh, policing, traffic enforcement. And I think it's an excellent thing. And along with that, then, uh, the idea of having some sort of a safety clinic then to follow up on that, to bring these folks in. We already participate with uh, several mechanics in the area with the BULBS program. Uh, so they would, I would think, be more than happy to also uh, be a part of this clinic and, and help folks um, get their, their bulbs replaced or whatever needs done. Uh, I think a precedent has been set with the fire department does this with the um, child safety seat. So they, they already do this. So I think it would be only natural for the police to, to pick up something like this. Um, so I, I'm in agreement with that and think we should really give that some thought to include that. I really want to add again, I had received a lot of feedback from some people, but 99% uh, of those feedback was from white people in this community. You know, I, uh, while I understand their feedback is very important to me, and I appreciate it, they reach out, even though they have a very, very nice feedback, I'm going to acknowledge that. But I really want to hear, uh, I always believe that when, when we get the solution for the people, from the people who affected by the issue, it will be really amazing and great solution because it comes from the people. That's what being affected, they say, hey, that's what we want to see. That's what make us feel comfortable. We make us feel like we are part of this community. That's how you solve it, and we are pleased for it. That's why I want to add to what Laura said. We really need a project. We need a campaign for this. We need a plan. And what I'm really going to suggest right now here is the city can have some budget of translation. Believe me, that's a very important part. If we can create some money or allocate some money, I mean, to translate the document to at least three language, because the big population in this community right now is Spanish, French, and you know Arabic, where we provide this document to the associations, Black Voices Projects, Sudanese Association, Immigrant Voices Project, CWJ, and Latinos, and everyone ask them in their meeting to discuss this with their members because they have monthly meeting so they can discuss this document in their language and, and tell us feedback and email it to the city manager. So, we have like we don't have to go to individual and we make the community involved i'm real i'm willing to reach out to those people if the document has been translated because i know translation is a big deal please give this a full consideration you know and give it some money so we can contact everyone and make them involved All right. So it sounds like there is uh, some consensus for there being some type of a structured um, meeting or input from the community. Um, and so um, I heard works, work groups. I've heard um, if we get things in different languages, those communities can respond. Um, I think independently to the to the to the council, um, there is also listening session out there. Um, so, I, I guess with with me pointing out those kind of three ways to get input from the community, um, 
I haven't heard a consensus on which I still, at least for me, I think getting it, getting it in different languages, I think would be important. And, um, and I'm seeing some not enough heads here, um, the majority uh, of not enough heads. So um, wanted to maybe direct the city manager to um, get it in different languages. And we're sounding like the three. Are we okay with the three? And I'm, yeah, I see. Yes, I'm seeing a majority for the three languages. All right, so we'll go ahead and do that. And then as far as setting up uh, opportunities for people to weigh in um, as the community, do we want it? Do we want working groups? Do we want listening session where people can just come and share their thoughts on this item? Mayor, may I make a suggestion? Sure. Uh, this is just a, a broad suggestion, but as you all have seen, uh, you've had this document for a, a couple of weeks and it's not the easiest to wade through. And uh, even if it's in different languages, I think people are gonna, are, are gonna struggle to find the time to, to get through it all. Um, I'd really encourage you to think about breaking it out into groups. Um, however you want to group them, it doesn't have to be the same types of groups that I use to, to format the document. Um, but much like you did with the listening post where you had a focus on, on each session, you can still take comments on the entire plan. But I, I'm, I fear I, I, what I fear is that uh, um, if you just put a call out and you do a listening post to tell me about the plan, you're going to get very high level comments. I don't like it. I don't like it. I like it. Um, that sort of thing. And I'm not sure that's going to be helpful for your deliberations. Maybe it will on some level, but if you can really break down to however many core issues you feel need to be addressed by this type of plan, I think the quality of feedback that you'll get, the insight that you'll get from community members will be much more valuable. Yeah, I agree with you, but the listing of both, you guys attend listening, but how many immigrants were there? Be honest. You know, uh, to be honest with you, that's, that's not the type of outreach for immigrants. You know, uh, you're going to see white people coming to that, you know, listening with more than even black people. You know, I, I really, when I say like this, because I want, like, even if I'm an immigrant and came to the Alistair Boost and see all those people, I will be afraid to speak up. Maybe because if I speak up, maybe my language is not okay and I'm, I'm, I'm scared that they don't understand me. But in like a community session, in your own language, people will speak up more. That's what I have been discovered from the, my working with the community, I swear God. But uh, as in the end, of course, is is majority, but uh, it is my really obligation that to tell you what my experience is and how those things work. And it is up to yeah. you guys. I, I mean, I agree with you, Maz, um, and I would be happy to help lead a session in French, for example, um, with, uh, but, and I also think that along with what Laura said initially that that um, perhaps we could have a couple of counselors agree to sort of go through the document and do the breakout so that we can figure out which 
which of these which of these recommendations belong sort of in which group that we'd be we'd be dealing with. I mean, I know some folks, for example, in the French speaking community, I could reach out to and and try and set something up. But that's sort of that's my niche. Every people, other people have their um, their niches as well. Yeah, I mean, I would and agree. So I know early on when we did a did a listening post. Um, like out at Pheasant Ridge. I mean, we had a lot of members, I think, of the Sudanese community. People were very comfortable. They spoke up. Rockney Cole and I happened to do that one. Um, so I totally support and hear what you're saying. I guess the question is, with the pandemic still going on, you know, how how do we want to do, how do we want to handle that? Um, I'm limited to English. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wish I, wish I wasn't, but I am. Um, so no, I think trying to reach out and, and either do some smaller groups in person with people like that, you know, because of the pandemic, I'm totally open to that. I think we really need to try and do that. I, I want to go back just real quickly to the translation. I, I don't, I really question, and I don't know the cost, I really question translating the entire document. Um, I think, I mean, I think we start with translating the 36 or whatever recommendations. And if maybe there's a paragraph or two that kind of gives some rationale, maybe we do that. I don't think we're going to get many people who are fluent in English reading this whole thing. So would, would you be comfortable, Maz, if we looked at like doing the actual recommendations and maybe a short paragraph or two for each one? Does, do you think that's reasonable? Yes, it is. I was trying to say that too. I agree with you. If we can also, there is some item that is very important to them. Uh, maybe those like only selected item to be translated and the recommendation as you said. Yeah, I agree with that totally. I would agree as well. And I, I would suggest, uh, and I, you know, I think the meetings kind of in, in the place where the the, the, the people we are trying to make contact with actually live uh, would be helpful. I think, you know, having if granted it's COVID, I, you know, I'm not sure how the South District, for example, meets, but if, if we could attend virtually, if necessary, one of those meetings and uh, discuss this. And I would, I would suggest that it be a much more open-ended conversation than focusing only or primarily on the plan, um, partly be you know because I think it, it, it's it's a document that I, I'm not sure it speaks the language of everyday experience. Basically, um, uh, you know, I it certainly can be. Dis I, I don't mean to suggest that it shouldn't be discussed, but I think it it would be useful to go beyond that and to try to understand when when at these meetings how people struggle or benefit from our current policing policies and, and try to leave it a little bit more wide open as to how we can improve them. Um, more again in the, in the calls for service, I really felt that's the interface right there. How do people actually interface with our police force? Um, that's where I think, you know, that is the crux of the issue. How do we how do we improve that? And as I said in my, my comments, where possible, reducing those contacts with better outcomes is, is what I would also suggest. I did want to do one clarification with Mayor Pro Tem, um, because I think I understood 
uh, that she mentioned um, that she wasn't suggesting, at least for the the different communities, that there actually be um, listening posts or any council uh, presence is really documents that will be within their language and for them amongst themselves would have conversation and they would reach out to council. Like we can certainly um, make initial contact is maybe what I understood to ensure that they have the document within their language um, and maybe have a point of contact um, just to let them know the council is willing. But I, I wanted to make sure that I understood Mayor Pro Tem correctly and what she was uh, suggesting. Suggesting. What I, yes, Meyer, what, what I was suggesting is, uh, yeah, translate whatever we want to do that, like uh, as Susan Mims, maybe as selected, uh, you know, uh, items to the to three language and give it to the association and uh, like some like uh, different uh, organization as well, like Black Voices Project for the Black community. Uh, so, and we will, uh, they will meet and they will discuss it among, uh, among themselves in their language. And after that, if they would like to meet with two council, like listen and they have question, maybe they will call you and ask you for qualifications. Not like call, ask, invite you to come. Maybe it's, for example, invite Boleyn Taylor and, and uh, Janice to come to a meeting with the uh, Congolese community. And uh, uh, for example, they say, okay, we have question. After we discuss this, we had this question. And uh, after you do this questions, answer the question, they will give you their recommendation if they have anything, if they wanna add something, if they don't like something. So this is, will be their recommendation. But if they feel comfortable and they have their recommendations, they don't have to meet. They can just send it to a contact person, a city manager or the city council. Yes, after the group met, they can do that themselves. But if they need us to come so they can ask us question, I think they can just send us um, you know, email and ask us to, to be present you know, after they discuss it by themselves. But give them the chance to do it among themselves without any pressure from council. So what I might suggest is when we did the listening sessions related to Black Lives Matter, um, Kelly, our city clerk, reached out to various communities. Now, potentially there were some communities not on the list. So what I might suggest at least for, if we were to go with um, what Mayor Pro Tem is suggesting, is that if there's any more communities that we wanna reach out to, that we give that, that those list of contacts to our city clerk and maybe she can dispel the information. If, if, if the if the if we're really looking for public input or a space for public input, um, of course we heard the work set, working groups as well as the listening sessions. Um, would people be in agreement to maybe start with the listening session um, and see where we go from there um, instead of? maybe breaking it out in groups at this point. I, I know that our, you know, Jeff Froen, our city manager may mention of working groups to get a little more information. We are getting some information, I think through emails and 
um, as people begin to digest this information and read it, uh, associations will weigh in, I'm assuming, uh, just like they have in the past um, with some, it varies what we get, right? Some are detailed in writing, some are verbally detailed and some, so I don't know. Um, I, I think we, if we can kind of come to a, um, maybe a step one, it sounds like everybody's in agreement that we'll do uh, the translations of the 36 points um, and that'll be disseminated. Um, I think our city clerk can certainly help us with that. So if we can focus now on what would be the next way to get the public engagement, would that be through creating work groups or would that be through a listening session? What do you mean by creating? What's the difference? Sorry, Laura. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I'll let, I'll let you uh, answer what's the difference between a listening session and a work group. Okay, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of make my pitch for what I meant when I said working group, because I think what we have is 36 recommendations. I do not anticipate, and please, you know, let, I, maybe we talk about it now if I'm wrong, but I do not anticipate that this is like a up or down vote on the plan, right? We have 36 recommendations that are pointing us in a direction, you know, or multiple directions on how we can implement change based on these different sort of areas or themes. And so what, what I was suggesting was trying to dig into that, right? I mean, I, I do agree that we need like overall input, but I think what we're doing and the appendices to the plan itself really illustrated this for me, what we're doing is something new. What we're doing is, is not, I, I would challenge any of us to find communities in the U.S. that are really undertaking a, a more comprehensive overview to try and, and accomplish something like this. And so I want to get more concrete. I really fear we're going to take up a lot of time and, and maybe even lead people astray if we leave it open-ended because we need to get to the actual implementation of the changes that we've committed to this community that, that we would make. And so what I was talking about is maybe having sort of smaller group meetings that would be based on the topic areas. So for example, John, you brought up the, the cahoots model. It is mentioned in, in the appendices relating to San Francisco because they have a similar type thing. There's information about it in the Eugene, Oregon description and um, all of the diversion that we're talking about, right? So cahoots is a model where there's not co-responder and we are absolutely talking about that. So we have recommendation for increasing funding for community for mobile crisis. We have a recommendation about um, making sure we can implement 911 integration. Those are concrete things that are not labeled with the word cahoots, but are taking the model of mobile crisis that is our community's service that we know we have strong nonprofit support for and making that into something bigger that can actually respond more comprehensively and divert those calls away from, from law enforcement. So maybe we have a group of people who are talking about the mental health response issues and can you know use the data that we have. Absolutely agree, John, calls for service, right? That that's, that is the place where people are interfacing with our law enforcement. So being able to break that down whether it's by calls for service topics and saying, okay, what, what, what does prevention look like in these types of incidences, right? What can, what can that be? Um, in any, any case, I'm kind of rambling now, but that was kind of what I was envisioning is like topical working groups where we have people in the community who are invested in that already, who we know are gonna be partners moving forward. 
And 100% Mayor Pro Tem, thank you for saying we need to elevate those people who are most impacted. And how we got to this point is by needing to make change to be anti-racist and to improve the lives of people of color when it comes to interactions with law enforcement. And so that has to be, that has to be top of mind, that has to be front of mind. And I think we've already gotten some input about that as well, that you know, we, we really need to be making sure we're not losing the race part of this as we're talking about it. So that's kind of what I meant about working groups. I would be happy to participate in any of that or you know, facilitate to the extent possible I believe that I'm going to be reaching out and having conversations anyway, and you know, would kind of like, I guess, the blessing of my colleagues if, if, if you all think I'm not crazy. Yeah. Just, Go right ahead. Only agree, agree, uh, agree that this is a, a, a an important piece of the way forward. I, I would. I agree with you, Ronald. Go ahead. I, would, Go ahead. I would also mention the uh, Truth and Reconciliation, our commissions, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, Human Rights Commission. I think those seem like potentially good venues uh, where, you know, the public could comment, uh, you know, both the commission members themselves and the public could provide community comment uh, at, at those meetings. So it seems to me that's a possible uh, way in which we can outreach as well. I know, Councillor Taylor, were you wanting to chime in as well? Oh, I just wanted to make a quick comment about working groups as such. Uh, I think what I saw with uh, the listening post we had, which uh, we had some wonderful comments from these folks, but it was kind of the same people who came to each one of them, each and every one of them. And I think that would happen with these working groups too. Um, and I thank them for their input. They gave some very good input, uh, but they would probably <laughs> repeat the same things uh, at these meetings. Um, so I just would have concern about that. And I would have concern about uh, counselors that weren't at a particular work session, not seeing the whole picture and not getting, uh, getting input, everybody's input. Okay. All right. Um, I, I, it did sound like the majority of people felt that the document is, we need to take our time to work through the document. Seem like work session, work groups are important. I wonder if we did, um, I think just for um, the sake of today, are people, I, I want to make a recommendation that we actually ask um, maybe Councilor Burgess and Mayor Pro Tem and uh, City Manager Jeff Fruin to work on this, maybe talk about what those work groups look like, break them out, and then come back on the 19th at our next work session and kind of give us some thoughts to move forward. What would people, what are people's thoughts there? I'm seeing some shaking of heads. I think that's good because I think I think we've had a lot of conversation here, but we're not walking away from this with any definitive plan or structure. So to have a couple of council members work with the city manager and maybe get us some more specific structure of whether we're going to try and do some Zoom listening posts, whether we're going to try and do working groups, whether we're going to try and do a combination of those things. I think that's a good idea, Mayor, because I was as we were getting ready to leave this topic, I'm like, I'm not sure any of us really know what direction we're headed. Yep. And so I think that's a good way to do it. 
And, and, and if I might even include uh, Councilor Weiner, because of all of her work, as well as with different groups, um, the French speaking, would Councilor Weiner, would you be amendable? Sure, yes. Great. All right, we will revisit this on the 19th. Moving on to the next agenda item. So this is a discussion of Melania's council meeting and communication items that I, that I and Mayor Pro Tem had been in conversation about as well as uh, some, some of the staff a little bit before having the, this item brought here. And uh, there's three items. And so we'll kind of just go through each item and one is moving meeting start times one hour earlier. So what this would mean is that our work session would begin at 4 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. And then our formal meetings that now start at 7 p.m. will start at 6 p.m. So, you know, I, I, I want to open it up, and but I also wanted to at least um, maybe mention to the public, um, you know, what this could mean for everyone. Right now, we're, our meetings are on Zoom, and so this is really the focusing on when we're back in regular session, uh, seeing people face to face. Um, although, we don't have to wait until that happens because we really don't know when that's gonna happen. Um, but wanted to just bring this up and also allow opportunity for people in the community to weigh in if, you know, on this one hour change. And so I'll leave it at that for an introduction as to what this is and then I'll, counselors, please weigh in. And one thing that I might note is that um, as we have this conversation, we, I think the intention is for the public to have opportunity to respond to some of the things that uh, we're proposing. I personally, it doesn't impact me either way. My, my schedule is flexible enough um, that moving it to an hour earlier is fine with me. I guess what I'm most interested in, and I know it's hard sometimes to get that public input, is how members of the public perceive this and whether they see it as better. Um, if they're coming down to the meetings once we get back in person, they can get home earlier. Uh, hopefully it means we get done earlier. We don't just extend the hours, <laughs> extend the meetings an additional hour. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't wanna make a change that negatively impacts people who really wanna attend meetings. Um, I think as an aside, I think it would be better for staff. Um, you know, they're getting done work quote at five o'clock and, you know, then having to do potentially our work session and then come back and do a formal agenda and depending where their item is on the agenda, they're not getting out of here till later. So it would, I think it would be advantageous for staff, but I do think we need to try to get some input from the public. Yes, I agree too, but uh, I agree also for like not extending our meeting one hour. <laughs> I remember the latest meeting that we have was midnight and uh, I, I just like, uh, you know, maybe we can just have a limited at 11 instead of midnight uh, because we are extending it one hour and don't want to go like, you know, 12 midnight and we have it one hour more. So this plus, I really just find out that when we had this meeting uh, online, a lot of people had the chance to lay in. Uh, we need to think about maybe we can have some time of online, uh, like online, um, I don't know, interaction or what you call it. Uh, if we want 
go back to in person, if there is a way that still we can have a screen for Zoom, people can just zoom in and, and talk to us. I don't know, but I just find out a lot of people attend city council meeting, people that I never saw um, attend city council meeting, but they did while uh, we're doing this virtual. So if we can uh, also do something like that, uh, will be great. Yeah, it seems to me there really are these two issues. One is the timing of the event, and then also what's, is it is it an in-person event or is it a hybrid event? Um, you know, it does seem the there are advantages, as much as I would like to get back to in-person meetings, there are advantages to having it virtual uh, to the community. Um, so ideally, it seems to me, once we do go back to in-person events that um, if, yeah, as Maz was saying, if there's a way in which there's still the opportunity for people who for many reasons cannot make it to city hall uh, or do not feel like sitting there for four hours waiting for their item to come up, um, would have a way of, of more conveniently participating at council meetings short of actually going to city hall for that event. So as I'm, I'm with Susan, I, my time is very flexible. It doesn't really matter to me. I think maybe if they started sooner, perhaps we could figure out a way to have breaks. I, I, I do feel we kind of burden ourselves because we don't you know, we meet our meeting, our formal meeting might be three hours and we don't have a break. And I, I don't know how all you feel, but, you know, I'm kind of running on empty at that point. So, um, you know, I think the two things of, and I'm, in terms of the timing, I think it's really what is the community benefit from? And then the, um, whether we can try to maintain a virtual presence once we're back in city hall is the other issue. Yeah, I think we do, we need to hear from people. My only concern with starting what the the one meeting earlier is uh, what it, how anybody who wants to listen in is that um, impacted by their work schedule, and you might get some people we wouldn't otherwise get. So it may be a wash. I don't know, but but I think we should find out. So it, so it does sound like on this item, now, if anyone else want to weigh in, please do. But it does sound like on this item, uh, starting one hour early, we're open to it. We're just wanting some public input. Um, I did hear Mayor Pro Tem mention uh, maybe a hard, fast stop time uh, proposal. Um, I think I heard 11 p.m., um, <laughs> because the latest, actually, I think the latest we went was about, was it one thirty? Well, I think, you know, that gets managed with the agenda. And I think staff is very good with managing the agenda. But I think we do have to recognize there are certain occasions when things come up that we end up just from a timing standpoint, uh, we end up with a jammed agenda. We, you know, maybe we end up with a bunch of rezonings or something or some other major things. So I don't think we have to set a hard and fast. I think staff knows what our limit is and their limit is on a reasonable uh, meeting, a reasonable agenda. Um, but I think we all have to acknowledge there's occasions it's, it's gonna go long. That's just the way this is. 
Yeah. And what, what what could happen is any one of us, if we're noticing the time, you know, going along uh, pretty late, what we might suggest is having a discussion on anything that we can potentially uh, push back to the next meeting if it's not time sensitive or um, maybe having a special session just for a few items that we decide we don't want to continue. So I think we don't have to make that decision tonight. It's just in the back of our head. If meetings are going long, we have that option as council. Um, so the other thing would be the virtual option, um, so the hybrid model that uh, Council Thomas talked about and the virtual that Mayor Pro Tem talked about. I think that would be something that um, we can probably ask staff to look into um, to see what would that look like if we were in person and also had a virtual option. Um, so, all right, that's item, that's one, one of the things. So we want the public to definitely give their thoughts on that. The other is public comment and signing in procedures. Um, so right now we use Zoom and it's, it works really slick. People raise their hand and I can see it on the side um, as the uh, individual that is calling people um, up front to and giving them uh, their time to speak here publicly to um, to us and so when we're back in session it doesn't always go so smoothly um, because people have to sign in and if it's individuals that have never been to a council meeting it can be a little bit intimidating when you come up and then you know whether I mentioned to sign in at the beginning and in that process uh, it can be a little cumbersome and so wondering if we might consider having a sign up outside in the lobby uh, where people sign their name and then that's handed to me and um, maybe they'll have which item they want to speak on that's handed to um, the mayor and then the name would be called and they will be able to present the other thing could be a timer um, so that could be up on the up on the screens here in City Hall, or sometime or somewhere, where people understand that they are within their five minute, three minute, four minute, whatever has been asked, depending on how many people uh, have signed up for an item. So wanted to get people to weigh in on that. I really like the model that the school district uses in their board meeting. Well, like it go like to red when. It come to your time going to be ended and it is on the screen you see it in front of you so people like don't need to remind them and when it is the time finished finished so i don't know if the of course it is up to the staff to you know to see if that's something that we can implement or not but uh, that's what model, the model that i really like and, and Mayor Poten, they also, their model is that they you have to sign up ahead of time. You fill out your name and, and that you're willing to speak and it gets passed up to the to the front desk. So, yeah, I, I like that model also. And the timer, they, they keep the timing, which is good. I like that. I like the idea of the timing just because we do have some people who go long-winded and I think in all fairness to everybody to really kind of enforce that. I'm not as much of a fan um, of people having to sign up ahead of time. I think people sometimes don't come and don't plan to speak, but then they, they hear something that really hits them in a certain way and they feel compelled to want to speak. I haven't 
I don't know, I've done this for 11 years. I just, I haven't seen the sign-in procedure be that cumbersome and that um, wasteful of time. You know, occasionally you get somebody who hasn't signed in and, and they take a few minutes to get their name down and everything. So that's not as compelling to me. We don't, it's not that often that we go to our eight o'clock cutoff for comment, which is on our agenda. You know, if, if people are still commenting at eight o'clock, we cut it off and then would come back to it at the meeting. We very seldom have to cut people off and say, oh, we can't take any more public comment. So I'm not so worried about people uh, having to sign in ahead of time. One of the things that we're not getting during the Zoom, which, and we sometimes weren't getting this in the regular meetings that I wish we would get back to enforcing, and that is people indicating their address. <clears throat> right or wrong, uh, we're elected by residents of Iowa City. And quite frankly, I am gonna give more weight to input from residents of Iowa City than people who do not live in Iowa City. I, I'm fine listening to their opinion, and, and if, particularly if they have expertise on an issue they wanna share with us. But when people don't live here, I'm going to listen to them as an expert and not as somebody who just wants to complain about our city. So I'd, I'd like to know where people live when they comment. I, um, I, I would also like to know if people are residents of the city, everybody's welcome to speak, but whether it's on Zoom or in person, um, these, are, these are our constituents. Every, every resident of the city are, are our constituents. And, and I want to know if someone's actually uh, part, of, essentially part of our responsibility. Maya, just correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is, yes, you sign up ahead of time, uh, but while the public comment in session, you still, if you decide, yeah, if you move by the topic and you decide to do, you can go and sign in and hand uh, like hand the people because that's what I've been seeing at the school district where people, or even if they came there, they still can go and give the secretary, you know, uh, a piece of paper with their name and address, and they I, will I, pass I, it. I, again, I think it's up to us how we you know, institute that. We currently have, uh, when we were in session, people sign up um, at the back, you know, they go and get their sign up little thing and they, you know, put the sticker down. So it's, it's kind of the same process, but I think to uh, Councillor Mim's concern, we can certainly, um, you know, do that last call for anybody out there that didn't sign up, giving them an opportunity. Because again, there are people that, um, like she mentioned, you know, they're moved by a topic and we we've seen people that sit there and they say, I just have to get up, you know, and say something. And so I think we can still allow that um, as a part of the process, um, the name and the and the address writing we in person, we have that sign up. And I think um, if people are wanting that to be a part of um, the initial response when someone speaks via Zoom. I can I can certainly institute, you know, introducing the person to come and speak and asking them to state their address. Um, we can even have them write it in the comment section. But um, again, I, this is just an opportunity for people to weigh in. I do see our city attorney. Uh, so hello, Eleanor. Hello, hello. Um, I, I'm not. It's not clear to me whether we're talking about sign up just for. Um, public comment of items not on the agenda 
or if we're talking about every agenda item, because you ask for public, you know, public comment on every agenda item. And that seems very cumbersome to me. I, I haven't I haven't seen a school board meeting in a long time, but I don't believe they allow public comment on every item like we do. So um, I also think with respect to public hearings, uh, I'm, I'm not wild about the, the sign up ahead of time. I think that's a time for people to speak when they want. And if it's spontaneous, it needs to be spontaneous. If it's in response to somebody who just spoke and they want to correct an error, then I think they should be able to do that. Um, I also think we need to be careful about the time limit for applicants. We have, you know, unlike the school board, we have people who are coming to us with a zoning application or this application or that application, and they shouldn't be limited to the five minutes, just like staff isn't limited to the five minutes in making their presentation. The applicant shouldn't be either. So I don't have, have any problem with the sign up for um, items not on the agenda, but to do it for every agenda item seems cumbersome. I really meant the public comment, Eleanor, only during the public comment. Of course, okay. the public hearing, that's something different. Everybody have delay in. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, yeah, the applicant have, they need more time. We ask them question and yeah, I totally okay. agree with you. I just meant during the public comment only for item that is not on the agenda. Sounds good. I wonder if um, something different could happen. You know how you go to churches and then in the back of the seat, there's this little, you know, card that you pull out if you want to, you know, have sign your name. I, I wonder if we don't have either someone at the beginning of our meetings or throughout the meetings uh, that just walk around with cards and, and give it to people that want to sign up. Um, that way they can be at their seat when their name is called, because I think that's a part of it. When when people are coming up, there's just a little delay um, when, when people are coming up. And so maybe there could be some explanation about, you know, if you want to speak, there's, we will ask that you sign up and here's a sticker, do yada, yada, yada. Um, so maybe we can have some more thoughts around that, that we were asking the public to weigh in on these items. Um, and we'll, we'll put this back on the agenda. Is that all right? All right. Um, and then the last thing is the council emails and correspondence. So there's been an increase of um, correspondence, um, at least in 2020. <laughs> and so I think uh, there's, uh, I think there's a little uh, growing frustration because all of the items that are addressed to the council appears in our information packet. And um, sometimes I think there could be some response um, to, to some of these emails that come in the correspondence. I'm gonna ask maybe Jeff or, um, or Eleanor to kind of have some, maybe guide us through this conversation a little bit. So this item, staff started thinking about this because of kind of the um, the nature of the, the the correspondence to council. I'm not talking to, about correspondence to individual council members, but emails to the council at iowacity.org email address. 
And for years and years, you know how those have been handled. They, they are not, you don't get them in real time. You, um, they're put in your, in your next agenda packet. Um, and I think, I think some of the reason for that has been that a couple reasons it's, it's handy sometimes to get a staff response to those before you, before you see them because staff has some information. Um, and, and then I think there's been some concern about replying all and, and having a meetings violation, but um, it, it seems, it seems that it, it doesn't, it's, it's odd for staff to get those emails and you not get them then when they're directed to you, particularly when they're of a nature that staff is not really, doesn't really need to chime in. This is just something that, that they want you to hear. So I think there's two issues with emails to council. The first is when you get it. And the second is um, whether all council correspondence or goes on your, uh, your council agenda. And it's, it's not the info packet, it goes in the correspondence under on the formal agendas. Um, Kelly did, and Kelly, you can help me out here if I, if I mess this up, but Kelly did a, a survey um, of other cities. And essentially what she found was that most cities don't have a group email. They just have individual emails. Um, and of the two, there were eight cities of the two that do have um, a group email, uh, one of one of it receives it in real time, and one it goes through by the city manager first. Um, with respect to whether correspondence to the council goes on the council agenda, um, it was pretty overwhelming that that just is not a typical thing when it's not related to an agenda item. Um, rather, just a list of correspondence that the council um, gets. I think only one of the eight city puts an agenda item on the agenda um, if it's not uh, if it's not an agenda item and then only if it's requested to be put there. Um, so um, those are kind of the kind of the issues. I, th I think the, um, as I said, the, the reason it's been done this way in the past is in order to get some staff response or information that you might wanna have before you respond, the open records concerns. Um, I don't really know why the council correspondence, this was started long before I was here, why all council co correspondence goes on the agenda. I think it certainly um, creates challenges for time um, and focus. I think it also, sometimes you're having a discussion about something that you really don't have a full picture of. Um, on the other hand, I think it's something that the community has gotten used to. So that's probably the flip side of that. Um, it's kind of a community expectation at this point. A couple, as Kelly and Jeff and I were talking, one of the ways we thought you could handle this is that your council, e the emails that go to the council email address could be forwarded to you, to your individual emails. And that would be a reminder to you that you don't wanna be replying all. Um, only council 
correspondence to council relating to an agenda item be put on, on the agenda. And then if a council member wanted to discuss an email received, they could ask that it be put on the, on the agenda. Um, those are just some, some possibilities, but those are kind of the, the pros and cons. I have to say you got a lot of emails in 2020, but I have been here for a long time and there have been years when there have been lots and lots and lots of emails. So I don't think it's actually that rare. I like the idea if it's not um, hard for staff to take those that come into the council email address and Obviously, if, if staff looks at those and thinks there's a reply that is appropriate from them that then gives us further information for them to do that first, but then to have all those sent to us. So it, if you get an email and it's like, okay, this is just some general comment on a particular topic, there's nothing really for staff to clarify or respond to, then we just immediately forward it on to council. Oh, wait a minute, the second one there, there really is a question that we can give a clarification on and that would give more context for council, then do that and then send it on to us. I like that idea so that one, it keeps our packets a little bit smaller if we're getting this on a more regular basis between rather than all of them at one lump sum. Um, and from there, I don't have a problem with only putting the correspondence in the agenda packet that is related to items on the actual agenda. And I'll tell you in the last year or two, we've spent more time talking about the consent agenda than I've ever spent in councils in the previous nine or 10 years. And theoretically a consent agenda should be something that a body simply motions, seconds and votes on. It's, it's you look at, I don't care if it's a, board of directors for a bank or a nonprofit or whatever, just when you look at organizational structure, a consent agenda is something that that board should not be spending much time talking about. If they are items that need a lot of comment and discussion, they shouldn't be in the consent agenda in the first place. And so that's where I think as a council, we have really started getting into a lot of in-meeting discussion of items on a consent agenda that we don't necessarily need to. the public perception or expectation that you mentioned, Eleanor, um, I think I want to make sure I understand the distinction. If an individual sends an email to our seven individual email addresses, that will never get into the packet. Is that unless we forward it to Kelly saying, please include in the packet. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, as I think there's some, and, and even, you know, when I was kind of reading up bef before joining council, I think there's some, that's not very clear. And I think that's not clear necessarily to the public either that if they send to council at iowacity.org, it'll be included in the packet or be, be on the agenda. Um, I kind of like the idea of having, I, I would want to communicate it first, but the idea of if a person wants that published, you know, to, to have some way of indicating that. Um, on the flip side, there've been emails that, that, you know, I should have probably clued in in my head, it would be helpful to put in the packet, you know, that maybe all of us received, but we're not, you know, I don't think we're in the regular habit of just forwarding those to Kelly to get them into the packet. So there's just some inconsistency with 
residents who reach out to all of council, you know, they're either in the packet or they're not. It seems to me that we do a pretty good job of, or council does a pretty good job, maybe I'm wrong, of forwarding the, those emails that go to all of you, all of your individual addresses to us to put it to put in the packet. Um, and there is an automatic response to the council email that says this will go in the next agenda packet. Um, so, so they should know, they should know that uh, we could, we could certainly send that, um, change that automatic response, depending on what you all decided to do. I have a little hesitancy about staff having to call as, as Susan, you were talking about having to make decisions about which email right away, which emails we're going to forward immediately and which ones we're going to hold back and answer and then forward, I, that that may get a little complicated. I think I would suggest that we, if that's what you want to do, if you want to get them in real time, we simply forwarded them to your email addresses, and then you will get the staff response as well if we choose to respond. Well, I do like the idea of, of getting correspondence in real time. I think that there's some benefit to that. So it sounds like what we'll do is um, we'll bring this back on the work session agenda and allow the public some time to weigh in on this item and the other items. And we encourage people to uh, let us hear your thoughts. Anything else on, on any of the three items that were mentioned? All right. Clarification of agenda items. This is for our formal meeting. Moving on to information packets, December 17th. Moving on to December 23rd information packet. And if I'm going too fast, just slow me down. Oh, I'll make this real quick, Mayor. Just IP2 on the December 23rd, the Johnson County um, Affordable Housing Coalition, the memo from Sarah Barron's uh, looking ahead to 2021. I just, I really appreciated her memo and I want to thank, uh, thank her uh, as well as um, the uh, community uh, partners uh, who have helped um, uh, secure rent and mortgage assistance and advocated at state and federal uh, resources, uh, ensuring that um, uh, very critical needs for some of our most vulnerable members of our community uh, that have been able to, to make it through these trying times that uh, we're still not seeing really the light at the end of the tunnel yet for that. So I appreciate her work uh, and also all the community partners out there that, that have worked really hard to, to help those, uh, as I said, uh, very um, critical to those members of our community that needed that assistance and thank them. Great. I second that, Pauline. Absolutely. All right. December 30th, information packet. 
And I did want to just touch base on um, IP3 uh, pending um, work session topics. We had on our um, work session topics last year up until today, uh, COVID, uh, we just had it as a standard item. Um, wondering if, uh, I know that Councillor Weiner had mentioned having public health come and speak to us um, since update us on COVID as it, it relates um, uh, to our community or even having the University of Iowa, um, but also having um, some reports on the vaccination. So um, wondering, and Councilor Weiner, please chime in, um, but wondering if we would be open to having either the, the the University of Iowa or Johnson County Public Health come and speak to us on our formal agenda, um, maybe once a month or, um, and this is Councilor Weiner idea, so please feel free. So, so what, I, what I was interested in, in having have happened just basically for the entire community or anybody who's listening is a regular report, um, probably at this point by Johnson County Public Health to tell us where the vaccination rollout stands. And if there are any other sort of hotspots or other things we should be we should be paying attention to so that we're really, um, it could be the it could be UIHC as well, but Johnson County Public Health, I think, is going to be uh, integral in rolling out the vaccination plan for um, for our communities, so that we're getting information directly from the people who are are making the policy and implementing the policy, or from the scientists, and not from those of us who are, are trying to to somehow to interpret what's going on or interpret what the scientists would like us to know. So I, I, and it just, because there's been, there's been from, from my perspective anyway, at this point, a dearth of information out of, this, out of state, I, from Iowa Department of Public Health on, um, on how the, what they're going to do in terms of vaccine rollout, aside from medical professional and long, pro professionals and, and long-term care. Um, they put together a commissioner working group that's not public, so it seems seems to me that it's really um, what they're doing in terms of deciding the priorities for vaccination, probably more important than almost anything we deal with under under public meetings law. But so the, but the short version is I thought it would be useful at least once a month for us to get uh, just a whether in the work session or in the formal meeting, a short report. Um, where do we stand with vaccination rollout? What are they recommending? I, I think it could be valuable if we're if our intended audience is for the greater of Iowa City, is for it to come during our formal meeting. Um, granted, there are people that chime in on our work session, but I think the majority of people actually wait till seven or seven p.m. for our formal meeting. So I would be supportive of it, and just wanted to get uh, other counselor thoughts. Yeah, I would agree, and I think the formal makes more sense because I do think we have a larger audience. I think it's key to keep it short, two to three minutes. Um, but like you say, Janice, an update, uh, you know, maybe where they're at in their plans um, and what they know. There's a huge educational component that has got to continue to go with us to um, hopefully encourage 
those people who are hesitant um, to educate them, have, you know, get them as much information and answer questions, um, you know, so that we can get as many people to participate as possible once they have the opportunity. So I think if we can just keep it a real brief update once a month, I think that makes sense. Okay. Um, any, I'm, I'm seeing some heads shaking. So we'll, uh, city manager, Jeff, if you can reach out to public health, that'd be great. Um, the other item that we have to discuss on um, um, December 30th is IP5, and this is a memo from our city manager. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mayor. Real briefly, um, this memo um, just updates you on um, a planning process that is just starting to unfold um, jointly with the county. They own property at 821 South Clinton, which is the corner of Clinton and Benton Street. Uh, that property uh, is often referred to as the CarQuest building, and, and uh, you may know it as the current home of the winter shelter. Um, they are envisioning the future of that uh, facility and is, uh, have uh, graciously invited us into, into that discussion. Um, and uh, I just thought uh, I would check in with you to see if uh, uh, a council member member or two would be interested in, in joining staff for those discussions as we'll be working uh, with your elected counterparts uh, with the Board of Supervisors. Yeah, this is Paulina. Uh, I was really happy to see this actually uh, as an I drive by that building so many times, all the time, and and I in my head think of all kinds of wonderful things that that space could be used for. So I, I would very much, if you do put together some partners to meet with with the board supervisors and others interested parties, I, I would like to be one of those council members to participate. I also told Jeff during the meeting, and I asked him to be part of it, and I really am passionate about this, and I would love to be part of it. Any other um, one general comments on this? I think uh, thanks for the memo personally, and I think it's a great opportunity to explore. And um, I'll leave my comments at that. And are there any other individuals that want to comment or that is interested in this um, to be a part of the, this group? Well, I'd be interested. I don't know how many we want from council, so we'll just. I, I think Jeff mentioned two. So I guess uh, we have we have three that's interested. I, I'm I'm personally comfortable with uh, uh, Councilor Taylor and Mayor Pro Tem. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, any decision has got to come back to full council in, in terms of. City has formal position on anything, so yeah, okay, yeah, all right. So, it sounds like the two um, will be a part of those conversations. So, thanks to both of you. Any other um, item from IP uh, from 12 30? All right, council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. 
um, during the three weeks that we had off that uh, <laughs> was a little unusual at the end of the year. <laughs> but appreciate it. Nothing for me. The only thing I have is that the Jack has a new chair and vice chair. The new chair is from um, North Liberty, and I'm the new vice chair. Great. <laughs> Good. I, I really want to say something. I didn't have a chance to say to everyone, Happy New Year, to all our guests, you know, council members, and also to the staff who are currently here and to the staff who always work behind the scene to make our city really uh, comfortable for everyone. And uh, I just want to say Happy New Year. It was very tough year to go through uh, 2020 especially <laughs> never gonna be forgotten uh, but you know we we went through it safely uh, it is uh, for me as a black person and as a black leader for the city uh, Meyer and Meyer Brutem we went through a lot but I think uh, we we done a lot of work that need to be done uh, we done some improvement but there is a lot more to do Looking forward to working with the staff and city council for 2021 to make it even better. Thank you. Great. All right. Anything else? We will be back at 7 p.m. for our formal meeting. And remember to sign out of this Zoom meeting into our 7 p.m. Zoom uh, meeting. And we will see you all then. Bye.